Hey Venture, it is great to see you here today. I'm seeing a whole bunch of smiling faces that are smiling right now here in the room. And I see a bunch of folks that have joined us online already today. I'm so grateful that you're with us as well. So yesterday morning, I kind of woke up. It was kind of a slow roll Saturday. Uh, we've been doing some pretty intense work, actually, brain kind of work, a bunch of people in a room doing some work together all day Thursday and Friday here at the church building. And Saturday morning, I kind of got a low roll start, went downstairs uh, and went into the garage. I was excited to mow my grass. It's that time in central Indiana, right? We're doing that right now. I know many of us are mowing our grass a lot. By the way, this has nothing to do with my story, but last year, I invested in a used battery-operated, like, electric-powered mower. If you're considering that, go for it. Take the leap. I love that mower. So I'm fired up. I'm ready to mow my yard. I opened up the garage door, and this is what I was staring at right here. Not that. I was staring at that. Now, you might not be able, especially those of you who are joining us online, you might not see exactly what I'm talking about, but it jumped out to me like, like a beacon. Because I've got this kind of dummy license plate on the front of my truck. I invested in a black-on-black -black American flag a couple years ago. Pretty proud of it. Don't know where that is because let's double-click in a little closer. This is what I'm staring at. Now, don't get me wrong, I grew up in the 80s, Krusty uh, the Clown from The Simpsons. I, I'm, you know, that's cool. I have no idea how long I've been driving around with this thing on the front of my truck. If you know me, uh, you know that I, I have maybe a slight phobia. Eh, it's not a phobia. But I don't like clowns for good reason, right? I just don't like clowns. I don't trust them. So that, the word has kind of got out on that, and uh, somebody, I don't know who, put this on the front of my truck. Can I just say this? Well done. <laughs> I have no idea how long I've been driving around like that. Actually, that wasn't the first time I had seen it. I just hadn't done anything about it yet. The night before, we were delivering some stuff to one of y'all, and Dawn got out of the truck, and she left the stuff we were bringing to you on your front porch, and then she was walking back to the truck, and she started cracking up, and she said, have you seen it? I said, what are you talking about? She said, you got to come out and check this out. I climb out. So she happened to videotape my initial reaction to that. If this is your handiwork, find my wife. She can share with you my reaction. I share all that with you to say this. It feels good, not the clown. I'm not a fan of the clown, but kind of the tone. Just the last two, three, four weeks, it feels like we're in recovery mode and we have margin for even the good, silly things in life. Just even here in central Indiana, it feels like we're putting COVID pandemic stuff in the rearview mirror. I know around the world, and even here locally, we're not done with this. I mean, we're still praying hard about this. Uh, you know, India, there's great need there. I was reading yesterday about Brazil, and we're praying for folks there. But the mood here, it just feels like we've turned a bit of a corner. I was at open houses for graduates this past weekend, and it just feels good. 
We're kicking off this Mountain and Valleys series because you know what it's like to be at the mountaintop, and you know what it's like, we've all lived it, the last year and a half in the valley. Our goal this summer is to kind of level things out, grab some even playing field. Jesus talks about this, and so this whole summer we're going to be working through the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. Spoiler alert, I believe it's the same sermon from the same location. We'll get into that here in just a bit. But if you have your Bible with you today, grab it, pull it out, and open it up to Matthew chapter 5. Or maybe you want to grab your smartphone and open it up to the Venture app. We've got sermon notes in there as well. Hold that. We're going to come to that here in a second. Speaking of leveling things out, I want to real quick give you a financial update. We've come through a major world event that's affected us profoundly here locally. We're not freaking out. But I do want to give you an update on kind of where we are right now with our giving. Last week, I I, I preached a sermon from Boston. Perhaps you caught that. And we said very clearly that the church is God's plan A. Jesus, through the local church, is the hope of the world. And he doesn't seem to have a plan B. And in the Bible, it talks about how the Great Commission goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. We dialed in on those outer extremes yesterday, and we have giving that goes all over the world. But today, let's talk just a bit about Jerusalem. Let me give you an update here locally. As of last week, we are 18% behind here on our projected giving for 2021 to fuel local and global church growth efforts. Now, I'm not trying to cause us to panic. We're not panicking. We've been able to tighten the belt just a little bit, uh, and uh, we're, we're, we're kind of bringing some stuff in, trying to be careful with our spending. But we need fuel, right? We need fuel, people fuel. We talked about that with VBS, and we need financial fuel. We gathered a bunch of people in the room, as I said, this past week, and we're dreaming about what God would have us do, especially as we come out of this pandemic era. We feel and we believe and we know we're poised to do some amazing things. So if you're asking the question, should I, do I need to be kind of doubling down on my local investment here, the answer to that is yes. Yes, please do, because God has some good things, some amazing things to do in us and through us here. Okay, today we're diving into the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, and as we think about this, I want us to be thinking about what I just said, and the idea that God has called us to be local missionaries to bloom right where we're planted. Maybe you were here three weeks ago. And you joined us for our first of three, we're calling them Worship on the Lawn events. And like I said, all summer long, we're going to be talking about Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain. When we're out there, we're going to be in Luke's Gospel talking about Sermon on the Plain. When we're in here, we're going to be talking about Sermon on the Mount. Out there, we talked about Sermon on the Plain. Maybe you remember this day. Maybe you weren't here for it. Let me catch you up. Check this video out.
Yeah, worship on the lawn. Wasn't that fun? If you were here a few weeks ago and you found that fun, would you just simply, yeah. It was fun. It was good in all the right sort of ways. We've got two more of those planned. June 27th is the next one. You're going to hear us talking about that even as a block party. We're going to have inflatables. We're going to have like some slip and slides and fun stuff for the kids. Could I challenge you right now? Who can you invest in? Who can you invite to come and join you on that special day here at our church? Do me a favor right now. If you've got a smartphone, would you pull it out? We can do a better job of this as a church. If you are on Facebook or Instagram, go to your preferred platform for social media. We've got events there on this, June 27th, the block party, Worship on the Lawn. Just push that out to all of your friends, everybody who follows you on social media. And broadly, I'm going to be talking that, uh, we, that day about planting because Jesus talks about planting in the Sermon on the Plain. So let's scatter some seeds widely right now. And then would you begin to pray? Pray and dream and think about who can you walk across the street to? Who can you walk next door in the cubicle at your work? Who can you invest in and who can you invite to come and join you on that special day? Because it's going to be awesome. We're gearing up for it and we're looking forward to it. All right, if you've got your Bible, Matthew chapter 5, title of today's message is Salt and Light. If you know your Bible, you probably know exactly where we're going. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. This is what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Nope. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. And then he says, in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Before we go any further, could we simply bow our heads, close our eyes, and go to our God in prayer? Father, those words were powerful 2,000 years ago. The group of people assembled on that mountain plain desperately needed to hear those words, and it shifted a way of thinking, I believe, for them. Father, as we study it today, we come with open hands, open minds, open hearts to receive your challenge But more than that, we want to put it into action. So as we study, I pray that you direct our thoughts and our attention outward to do something with this text this week. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me set this passage in its context. Again, I said Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain. I think it's the same sermon in the same location. After we grab that context, then we'll seek to apply it. Fair enough? I told you a couple of weeks ago, I believe this is the same sermon. I want to explain why I believe that, partly because of the passage we just read. In my opinion, Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain could be co-located, same location. It's a modern-day place in Israel called Mount Arbel. 
I showed you some of these pictures, by the way, about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, right before the pandemic hit. And I even talked to you that day, oh, I'm planning to do another study trip, and maybe we can talk about some of you going on that study tour, and then the pandemic hit. We talked about doing it March of this past year. That didn't happen. And Israel is still closed to travel right now, and so, you know, I'm still kind of dreaming about that, thinking about that. So I showed you these photos then, but I want to show you some similar photos today. I thought I'd refresh your memory, how this can be a mountain and a plain. Let me show you some pictures. Here's the top of Mount Arbel. So if you look this direction and you look straight down, it definitely feels like a mountain. Let me show you another photo. This is me standing on that kind of precipice there, and I'm pointing out over the mountain. By the way, I used a map last time we were outside, Sermon on the Plain. Uh, So this is the nation of Israel, but let's double-click on that a little bit. If you make your hand the map, and it's uh, the Sea of Galilee now, this location I'm standing, I believe I put it right about there, this side of the lake, and in that photo, I'm pointing to the north side of the Sea of Galilee. This is a very Jewish centric area. The people that live on this side of the lake, they are good Jewish boys and girls, and this is the crowd that Jesus is speaking to. He says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Let me show you the next photograph. Here's a group of us sitting there doing some teaching. You're looking at the Sea of Galilee right there, and you can almost imagine as if this is Jesus teaching the crowd, and Matthew in his gospel, Matthew chapter 5, He's looking this direction, I think, and he sees, hey, and in his mind's eye when he records his gospel, we're on a mountaintop. When he talks with other people, they're kind of remembering at that moment, yeah, we were sitting on a mountain. Luke, in his gospel, which gets recorded as a level place, as the Sermon on the Plain, I think he's sitting this direction, and he's looking at Jesus this way, and in his mind's eye, he remembers it different. He remembers this image. Check this out. It's a level place. It's a plateau on top of a mountain. Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, co-located. We're looking to level things out. And Jesus, in this location, this spot right here, he could point, point literally to both salt and light. And this is where he does it. Let's look a little bit closer. He talks about salt in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Remember, he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. When he says this, sitting on the edge of that mountainside, in my opinion, what he does in that moment is literally point over the edge. He points down the hill. I believe he's pointing at a place called Magdala. If you know your Bible, think Mary of Magdalene, Mary from Magdala. And the thing is, his original audience, as they are listening to this, as they're thinking about that space, I think a whole bunch of things clicked for them. You are the salt of the earth. Um, I've got some pictures here of Magdala. Magdala was just uncovered about five years ago. It had been covered up for the ages. Uh, it is known in the Babylonian Talmud, if you were to look at this extra biblical source, they called it Magdala Nanaya, which to me sounds an awful lot like when I tell my kids Nanya when they ask a question. Are we going to do this? I say that's Nanya business. But Magdala Nanaya, and its Greek word to describe this is Terakia, 
which literally means the place of processing fish. Because you see Magdala, which is at the base of this mountain, it's right next to the Sea of Galilee. It is a, it's a commercial fishing port. Here's some photographs of it. This is this space at the base of the mountain. This is the mountain I was just standing on. That's Mount Arbel. In my opinion, that's the location of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is pointing down here. He's saying, you're the salt of the earth. And these people, they know this is where fish had been pulled out of the Sea of Galilee. They've got a commercial fishing operation there. They salt the fish, and then they ship it out all over the known world, the empire. Ah, empire. This little sleepy fishing town had global reach. You're the salt of the earth. The next photograph, we look a little closer. This is a first century ruins, a synagogue that likely Jesus would have taught right there in that space. You're looking at the location where the scrolls, the Torah probably would have been rolled out right on that spot. And Jesus, if he was the visiting rabbi, maybe would have read right there from that location. Go ahead and hit the next uh, picture. This is some mosaic and tile work that still exists to this day. It exists because this city was covered over when the Romans sacked Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Magdala was also destroyed. And it was covered over and preserved for time. And we've just opened this up in the last five years or so. And I, I got to be there right after they had opened it up. But Magdala had a global reach. And Jesus is speaking to this group of Jewish people. And he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. You're also the light. Remember Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, he said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In this moment, I believe that Jesus is pointing. He's calling the shot. He's pointing across the Sea of Galilee. Remember, they're sitting right here. He's pointing over here to the region of what's known as the Decapolis, 10 cities. These are Greek cities. This group of people would have called them pagan cities. But over on this side of the lake, in the evening, they can look over and they can see these wealthy cities lit up at night. You're the light of the world. And I think that Jesus is using a metaphor here. He's pointing at them. Not so much at us, but he's pointing at them and using them as this metaphor. You're supposed to be the light of the world. I want you to shine bright. Here's the problem. The people on this side of the lake... Well, they, they avoided that side of the lake. The people that called Magdala and Capernaum home, they avoided this side of the lake because this is a group of others. They ain't from around here, are they? There's two stories in the Bible, the feeding of the 5,000, that miracle, and the feeding of the 4,000. I would put the feeding of the 5,000 up on this side of the lake near Capernaum. Feeding of the 4,000 happens right over here on this side of the lake. Interesting miracle. We're tempted to say, well, maybe it was the same thing and they used different numbers. No, 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 no. Jesus fed 5,000 Jewish people here. And he fed 4,000 of the others over on this side of the lake. And after he's leaving the region of the Gerasenes, as they're rowing back across the lake to this side of the lake, back to the Jewish side, Jesus asks his disciples a series of questions. And I want you to look closely in Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, at what Jesus gives them by way of caution. He says, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What in the world is this, this yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? In my opinion, this is us versus them thinking. 
Jesus is saying the Pharisees have been telling us and the Sadducees have been telling us for a long time that we're supposed to get in our holy huddle and gather and stay away from them, guard the truth, hold it closely. This is countercultural teaching that Jesus is sharing here. He's saying, watch out for that. That's like yeast. It has the power to work its way through the whole batch and destroy the recipe that I'm creating here. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These men in that boat as they're rowing back from the feeding of the 5,000 over here to the area of the Jewish side, or the feeding of the 4,000 to this side, these men, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they probably had grown up watching their mamas knead dough. And if you've ever baked, I listened to a podcast this past week and, uh, on the art of dough and bread making. That's right, your preacher is a nerd. I listened to stuff like this and I loved it. And this expert was telling me it takes like, like three days for a good loaf of bread the way they bake it to be made. You, you kind of mix the yeast and you get like a live like science experiment going on in your kitchen and in the refrigerator, and then you work it through the whole dough, and the yeast works its way through the batch, and Jesus is saying, be careful not to let that happen. Because what we do for, the, to, for us, we do for them. We fed 5,000 people up here, we're, we're going to feed 4,000 people over here. It's going to be miraculous. And I bet, as he's talking about this, the imagery for Peter, James, and John, I bet it starts to work in their hearts. And they think about this. Yeah, do you remember that day, the feeding of the 5,000 up here, there was one boy in God's bath. One boy brings two fish. By the way, he brought these to lunch. I bet these were salted fish. I bet they were purchased right here, Magdala, which is four miles from Capernaum where that miracle happened. I bet that's where those fish came from. One boy plus two fish plus five loaves of bread and 5,000 people are fed. It's a miracle. What Jesus is saying is what we do for us, we do for them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They would tell you otherwise. But the gospel, you're called to be salt and light to all. Jesus is preaching against, if you're taking notes, write this down. He's preaching against us versus them. That'll preach 2,000 years ago on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and unfortunately, it'll still preach today. Well, we have to define this. Who is us? And who is them? We'd all define this a little bit differently, don't we? I mean, whoever we don't include in us, by default, becomes them. And then it becomes in versus out. And if you stretch that a little bit further, it can become right versus wrong. We have to guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. And us starts becoming increasingly smaller depending on your ideology, right? I mean, us. Who is us? Well, maybe we're saying those of us who are gathered here. Well... Is it us in the room? Is it those of you who are us who are joining us online? And depending on your perspective, you can start to think even inside the body of Christ, us versus them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Or maybe you take a collective us and you say, oh my goodness, well, did you vote red? Did you vote blue? Us versus them thinking, right? Be on your guard. Or us, maybe which echo chamber do you get your news from? Fox News, CNN, which echo chamber do you live in? And you start kind of dividing down us versus them. The longer you've been with us, by the way, the more us you are. This can become dangerously close to you belong here. And can I take just a minute and can I just one Pharisee to another, can I speak against that? We have to be so careful about that. 
Because the gospel is meant to be inclusive. You're called to be salt and light. Us to reach them. This can get real personal. And it should get real personal real quick. Because remember, you are salt. You are light. Now, we can get into a debate on similes and metaphors. And Jesus doesn't say you're like salt. You're like um, light. He's not literally saying you're supposed to be those things, but he is literally saying you're supposed to take on the properties of salt and the properties of light. And he's calling you to embody those things because the world desperately needs to see this in you. So let's take this passage personally. Let's take this sermon personally. And for the rest of our time together, as we talk about the properties of these two elements, imagine that you are them. What would it look like in your life? What changes need to occur for you to embody these properties of salt and light? Because first of all, if you're taking notes, salt is good for preserving. The question, though, the question, even as we say that, we have to ask, well, what? What are we preserving? Are we preserving? I mean, because salt does have a preservation property to it. If that little boy did bring uh, fish from Magdala and they had been salted, well, they weren't, they were were preserved that way. And salt is good for this. But what what are we preserving? We're preserving a 1950s church or a 60s church or a 70s church. Keep doing the math forward. What do we preserve? Do we preserve the church of my childhood? Or do we go back and preserve the church? Maybe 500 years ago, Martin Luther was doing his thing. What do we preserve? What are we called to be salt and preserve? There's a temptation the longer you've been in the church. The more you want church to look like the church that you grew up in. And oh my goodness, this is a hymnal from my home church, Jefferson Street Christian Church. I didn't steal it. They were getting rid of these. In the front of it, it says this hymnal is donated by a person in memory and honor of a person, and it's donated in honor of the the folks who did Don and I's premarital counseling. I have deep ties here in this space. And for some reason, I've dog-eared this page, uh, page 524, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. I've actually visited the location where the author of this, Horatio Spafford, is buried. This one has deep meaning for me in my life. We don't sing it around here very much. And honestly, for some good reason. It's a bit dated in its feel. People who aren't connected inside the church, it just doesn't feel very culturally relevant to them. Now, the themes in it, the language in it, what it's talking about is timeless. But there's kind of a feel to the music that feels a bit dated. We're tempted, though. I'm tempted. I want to salt that. I want to preserve that because I have a heart connection to that. Or maybe maybe we want to preserve programs. We mentioned earlier, and we're celebrating, that uh, this is a kickoff week. This week we're going to be talking about Vacation Bible School, and we're going to gather 300-plus kids in this space. It's going to be awesome. Listen, I love VBS, Venture Bible School, and I love what it is going to be doing this week. What Kyle said is true, that, uh, you know, there'll be kids here who aren't connected to Jesus, and I'm not picking on VBS, but let me just say this. Anything we do that's a method, that's a program, if it stops being effective, if it's not reaching people with the gospel, the life-saving message of Jesus Christ, we really should be very carefully evaluating, well, why are we doing that? But we have a tendency because they're programs that we love to salt them and preserve them. And let's keep that just because we love it. 
Well, if it's not reaching people for Jesus, we should take a critical approach, an eye toward that. Let me show you what we do need to solve. As we think about what we preserve, it's not the method, but we preserve the message. We salt our Bible. We salt the good news of Jesus. We preserve the life-giving message that he's given us to share with the world. I think you're supposed to salt it if you're a chef like that. But preserve what needs to be preserved and hold true to that truth because salt is good for preserving. Salt is also good for seasoning. A little salt goes a long way. Dawn always complains that I'm too liberal with my salt. I won't tell you what I silently judge her about with her cooking. I like a lot of salt in my food, but get this, too much focused salt can make the dish taste funny. Let me say that again. Too much focused salt can really mess up that dish. We are called to preserve the message, but we get too close in our holy huddles. That can start to taste a little funny, right? Maybe there's too much concentrated salt here, and God wants it to be seasoning out there. Salt is good for preserving. Salt is good for seasoning. Let's talk about light. We took a trip a couple weeks ago, a family vacation. My kids can now say they've been in all 48 uh, contiguous states. We got into this whole Google search. I, Continental includes Alaska, contiguous states, the lower 48, and this was a trip through New England, and we visited New Hampshire and Vermont and Massachusetts and uh, uh, Connecticut and Rhode Island, and oh my goodness, Maine. I fell in love with Maine. Y'all, I'll be back to Maine. We explored some lighthouses in Maine. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but put this on your list. There some, are some amazing lighthouses to see in Maine, including this one. This is called the Rockland Lighthouse. And to get to this lighthouse, you have to walk out on this uh, breakwater that they've built there uh, to get out to this lighthouse. I've got another picture here put together. This is the front of it that you're walking toward. This is the back of it. Here's my kids all posed up for the picture. It's a beautiful space. On a sunny day, we walked out there, but let me just say this if you're taking notes. Lighthouses were designed for dark places. Duh. Well, I believe that Jesus points across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, the region of the Decapolis. When he says, you're the light of the world, I believe he points over there for a reason. Because he's saying, y'all, the salt and the light, go there. Go to a dark space, and I believe that Peter and James and John, they, as they were rowing back across the lake, and they're thinking about this, and then years later, Jesus has died and resurrected, and he's gone into heaven. Oh, my goodness. They go all over the known world of the time, telling people who are far from God, they're shining their light, and they're salting the world. Why? Because Jesus called them to do this, because lighthouses are designed for dark places. The question is, are we spending enough time in dark places. Lighthouses were designed for real jobs in dark places. 
Now, while they're beautiful, there's something just a little bit goofy about skipping out to a lighthouse on a beautiful sunny day, watching families stroll. We did this, watched couples on dates. That breakwater I just pointed to, it's seven-eighths of a mile long. And when I got home, I looked it up, and I discovered that, that that place is on the National Register of Historic Places, and it was designed to be a safe harbor from the storm. Because winds come from the northeast, know what a northeaster is. So they built the breakwater, and it was an engineering marvel. And I looked up uh, the language that they actually used in the board meeting. They, they, they recommend we spend $30,000 to build that breakwater. So there's a safe harbor for ships to come into the space. The last uh, language here in it. It says, on account of the, the dense fogs in summer and the blinding snowstorms in winter and the outer end of the breakwater, it should be indicated. The board proposes to establish a light-saving station on the end of the breakwater to consist of a stone pier supporting a small dwelling with a light and a small trumpet should a fog bell give inadequate warning to save vessels from being carried against the breakwater and driving easterly and northeasterly snowstorms. And over 100 years ago, they said, we're going to spend $30,000 to make this happen because it's worth it. Let me sum up that antiquated language. They're saying, basically, if we don't build this lighthouse, more people will die. If we don't build this lighthouse, more people will die. Listen, lighthouses are serious business. They're pretty, they're romantic, but they have a serious job to do. While we're talking about such things, let me share this caution. Too much focused light in the wrong places can make things weird. How many of you knew that weird junior high kid who liked to burn up bugs with, like, a magnifying glass? Maybe some of you were one of those weird junior high boys. Or maybe some of you who are overcome by cicadas right now would say, I need one of those weird junior high boys in my backyard right now. But here's the thing. Too much focused light in the wrong places can make things weird. Churches get a little bit weird with too much focused light inward. We're called as lighthouses to shine the light outwards. Now, don't get me wrong. We, we gather for worship. This is the primary purpose of the church, to glorify God. We talked about that last week. It's good for the church to gather, but we do so because it's imperative for the church to scatter, to shine our light in dark spaces. And as we do, we have to remember exactly what we were designed for. The whole time we were walking out on that Rockland uh, lighthouse breakwater, I kept thinking about a modern-day parable about lighthouses, and I want you to hear this. It's called Life Saving Stations. Listen to this story. Once upon a time... There was a lighthouse that stood on a rocky stretch of coastline that was well known for its shipwrecks. At first, it was just a small hut with a small boat and a small team of volunteers that kept a watchful eye on the seas. And every time a ship found itself in trouble, they braved the stormy seas to bring them in. They were doing what they were designed to do. But over time, the lighthouse became a popular life-saving station that people frequented. Men and women, boys and girls, joined by the hundreds and learned how to be effective rescue workers. They fixed the place up. They made it bright and attractive. And over time, the vision began to shift, and it became more of a country club. Professional lifesavers were hired to do all the work, while the members stayed inside to enjoy each other's company. One night, there was a terrible shipwreck off the coast, and multiple crews brought in load after load of cold, wet people. They were dirty and sick. They were from all over the world. Their skin was different colors, and they spoke different languages. And the beautiful clubhouse became quite a mess taking care of those people. 
The next week, the board of directors met together and said, this is not right. We should not be messing up sacred spaces. So they built a shower house outside the club so people could clean themselves up before coming in. The next life-saving station meeting was fractious. The people said, look, we want to be out of the life-saving business. We've got a very comfortable place here. We all know each other. We all know the club rules. Bringing outsiders inside messes everything up. In that same meeting was a minority group that stood to say, life-saving is the reason why we are here. That's our mission. And everything we do around here ought to have something to do with life-saving. Well, the lifesavers were voted down, so they moved down the coast and they built a modest life-saving station. And a few years later, the same thing happened again. Lots of people joined. They fixed the place up. It got dirty every time shipwrecked people were brought in, and so they turned the whole place into a members-only country club. And now... Now, there are a number of exclusive country clubs along that shoreline, and shipwrecks happen all the time, and a lot of people die. I don't have to stretch that analogy too much. We're talking about the church. I don't know if you were here last week. Uh, Our 11 o'clock service, Lily Carnes was baptized right over here in this space. And her dad, Ben, was in there and he talked about with the day she was born and this day that she's being reborn. And I sat right back there and I felt tears rolling down my face. Evan got up after that and said, I want to see more of that happening. I'm with Evan. I want to see more of that happening. When's the last time you got soaked in a baptistry? Now, if you've never been baptized, if you've not gotten wet once in the baptistry, see me after the service over here. I'd love to talk to you about what this is all about. I'd love to pray with you and encourage you. But have you ever been soaked a second time or a third or a fourth in a baptistry? You guys, I want that for you. As the salt of the earth, as the light of the world, I want that for you. I want you praying for your neighbors. I want you up at night worried about their eternal destination. I want you to be thinking like salt and light. And then be bold and walk across the street. And invest in them and invite them to come and join in what God is doing in your life. And I would love nothing more than than you getting to feel the pleasure of God. If you've never experienced that moment when you watch somebody go underneath the waters of the baptistry and they come back up and you give them a big old hug and you get soaking wet, (laughs) welcome, welcome home. I want that for you. I've done that a bunch. I bet I've gotten to baptize over a thousand people in my life and it never gets old. I love that moment and I want it for you. So who are you investing in? Who are you inviting? We talked about an opportunity that's coming up here in just a couple weeks in the life of our church. Who do you invest in? Who do you invite? Because you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Would you stand up with me as you think about this? A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and stick it under a ball. Nope, 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 nope. They put it on a lampstand. Why? So that the whole world can see it. And so they're drawn to Jesus, and it glorifies their Father in heaven. As we worship, as we apply, think about such things. Lord, I pray as we worship. And then as we leave here, we think about lighthouses. We think about salt. 
And when we see our neighbor, when we see somebody that we know is far from God, move us to action, to do some seasoning, to do some preserving, to light up dark spaces, to do real jobs that we were designed for. And I pray, I pray you use us, not for our glory, but so that they may see our Father in heaven. And that's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.